This episode features Gary Cartledge. That innocence kind of gets lost, doesn't it? As we yeah. get a little bit older. Yeah, I think that was one of the, um, the kind of fundamentals of extreme sport and art in the same context, really. You know, you've got the goal and the goal is is really to perform a task that is, in many sense, it's it's really trivial. Like doing a trick, what, what's the point? Like, but the amount of enjoyment and how it brings people together is, is instrumental. I felt like I never really got there anywhere else anymore. Hello, NFT land. It's me, Second Realm, a.k.a. Eric Paul Rhodes. And this is the Outer Realm podcast where we talk to artists and professionals in the NFT space. My guest today is Gary Cartledge, and we discuss everything from being an extreme sports athlete to the impact of internet culture on his art and his recent nifty gateway drop. Also, as a reminder, this is an ad-free podcast. So if you find any of this content useful, please take a screenshot of it and text it to one of your friends who you think will like it. Now, thank you for joining me today and let the show begin. So I'm here with my friend and artist, Gary Cartledge, a.k.a. Troy Fitzpatrick on Twitter. What's up, bud? How's it going, dude? It's going really well. Yeah. I'm, uh, we haven't spoken like six months. Has it been that long? <laughs> it's, it's been like six to eight months or something <laughs> since we last had, time. We-, we had that conversation. It was me, you, Rob, and Sasha, right? I think that was the last time we chatted. Yeah, and um, Bitmagin as well. Oh, that's right. Bit was there. Yeah. Yeah. He's gone quiet. I don't know what's happened to him. I think he's got a job. Oh, yeah. cool. He has like, a, I think he has a kid and he has family obligations. So mm. he pops on every now and then. But uh, I'm going to have him on the show eventually. I feel like there's so many people I want to talk to. And you have been high on my list for a very long time. But it's been, I think we've tried this a couple times to get to do a, a chat. But I'm glad we waited this long because so much has happened since uh, we last chatted about six months ago. And I'm excited to get down to it. But before we start diving into like Gary, the artist today, I like to start the conversation about like in my guest's youth. And I asked the same question. If... 12-year-old Gary is looking at you today. What does he think about who you are and what you're doing? <laughs> uh, that's a funny age because like 12-year-old me would just probably kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> How come? He would just be like, you were meant to have achieved a lot, you know. I don't know. I was, I was always quite ambitious as a kid, but never materialized anything. 12 years old, that was right before I got into like uh, extreme sports. I was like heavy into extreme sports when I kind of hit like 14. Really? So, what what kind of extreme sports did you do? Skateboarding. I was just heavy on skateboarding. I, I really? traveled, traveled in like the back of vans and stuff around the UK and just camp out and skateboard. Like those were, are probably the best years of my life, really. Were you a pro? No, 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 no. I mean, I was, I got pretty good. You know, I think people that know skateboarding, I was kind of doing like, you know, switch tray flips and, and kind of like switch back, back tails and stuff like really like quite technical stuff. But then it seemed like back then there wasn't many options. 
that now that you kind of have like the X Games and everything that didn't even exist when I was like 13, 14. So, right, you're right about my age. So, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up before skateboarding got big. Remember, uh, ooh, I think it was the board company Powell and Peralta, yeah, and, and Bird Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it seemed like not long after those guys, like four or five more, like Alien Workshop and stuff, all these popped up and it, now it's just nuts. Like you can't even choose a deck anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's its own sort of culture. It's not even a subculture anymore. It's its own culture. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird. Your you kind of mind works differently being being a, in extreme sports. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that kind of... That, that fascinates me, the kind of psycho, psychology of different people's lives and um it seems like people that do extreme sports have like a very healthy mindset you know they're kind of like hippies i guess were you more street doing like street skating vert you know pools like what were you into i was into street skating mostly but we would kind of go to parks and um you know like mini ramps and stuff i'd I'd do like we like a lot of mini ramp sessions just Mm -hmm. with me and my buddies like we were, we were fortunate um, the local skate park there was an indoor one but we kind of worked there so we had the keys so we would just stay there like all night and um we'd go like down into town and get drinks and then come back and and get pizzas and just be out like yeah it's it's quite surreal looking back just chilling on sofas do you know what i mean and and 3am in like this warehouse like and you were how old 14 15 well it, that that was literally from 14 all the way up to like 23. So, oh, it was so like you were huge talking 10 years in yeah. the, in extreme sports and skate culture. Oh yeah, for sure. It was, it was my life. Like, you know, the, probably the first year or two was just kind of learning. There was no real traveling. And then by the time I was like 15, 16, I started to travel a lot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I miss it to be fair. I can't really do it anymore because like injuries and stuff, but what's the worst know. injury you've had? I, I was fortunate to be fair. The amount of times I'd like dislocate things and crack mm-hmm. thumb, like cracked bones, but never broke anything. Nothing severe, like you know, but mostly just dislocations. <laughs> so basically, age is just caught up to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm 32, you know, and extreme sports, especially street skating, you you get you know you chuck yourself downstairs. 50 times trying something every day. Sure. Yeah, so you're 32, you're talking 23. You're talking nine years ago, you moved away from, I guess, being full-time in in extreme sport culture. What did you do? Like, what was the transition? What were you doing that allowed you to transition from like that into your next phase of your life? It's, it kind of like came back again, you know, um, life as it does just takes over and uh i stopped kind of doing extreme sports just because of the demand for like work and finance and projects mm-hmm. and um, i just kind of didn't really know what i wanted to do in life I, I just kind of jumped from job to job at the start i kind of went into like marketing sales studied media and communications oh, tried at, to- at university uh, no, that was that was college based. Um, I went back to university many years later to do a kind of a crossbreed course called visual communications. Mm-hmm. I suppose that can explain why I'm quite yeah 
symbolism can be quite strong for me. But that definitely but, uh, comes out in your art. I think what gets lost sometimes is in having talked to you, we know that. But sometimes people who are new to your art don't see it right away. And I feel like that they're missing that key element, you know? Mm. Like if they I mean, knew symbolism was part of it, you could read so much more into the work that you do. I kind of like that though, because it can, it can help works to kind of age well. Yeah. That some things are what they are and, and it, it can be beautiful, but in an information era that we're in, it just feels like um, our appetite for a, for a deeper book or a deeper image is, is much higher now. It really is. It's more than just what you see on the surface. And so I think what you're saying is you like that people get to read more into your art the yeah, longer for sure. it hangs around. I mean, like I've done pieces that I have not even told people that I've, I've put like like visual codes in there that reference to things. And no one's ever come back to me and says, oh, that's cool. Like, and I've put things in there that people will never get. Like, if you measure, use units of measurements to translate to language. <laughs> like, obviously, people read um, left from right, the top, top left-hand corner to the right. If you use the first object, the corner to its first point, and say it was like six, that would convert to the sixth letter of the alphabet and so on. And I left like little messages in there. And I just think one day someone will spot, like, you know, someone might. Well, you're go. dropping a little clue here. I'll tell you that. Like, I literally can't even remember half the messages I left. That's supposed to be brilliant. <laughs> How much? Well, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it yet because I want to learn a little bit more about like the transition period. I think this is, this really helps for me, I want to learn how this shapes who you are as an artist today. So you're doing this visual communication stuff in this visual communication study at university post sort of this phase of your life where you were into extreme sports. You had mentioned really quickly, uh, and we kind of glossed over it, but I want to get back to it, the psychology of the extreme sport athlete, right? Yeah, definitely. To be honest, I've never studied it. I just feel like it's the same way that kind of two of the same people have the same life, but one comes out different than the other. Mm -hmm. And they just tend to explore different things. And then when they do, it tends to, a collective of experiences tends to like morph them into be someone else. And even though those experiences seem quite trivial, they, they're often not. Like for instance, just being a skateboarder, the skate park environment is is much more inclusive as opposed to a basketball court, maybe, or a football court. I just felt like it was more inclusive and friendly. And that's not to say I didn't do other sports as well, but I, I just, I don't know, maybe there's just something there that's that's already programmed in to say, this is what you're meant to do, you know? So you're talking about like how there's the community aspect that you found in... Yeah, definitely. I think it was yeah. a type. I think there's definitely like a type of a type of person, a breed of person that that extreme sports people just tend to be. You know, they are creatives. I think in the early years, skateboarding, like going to London, South Bank, that probably subconsciously imprinted graffiti art to me. You know, because it, it was like 
a central hub in Europe almost to to graffiti at South Bank in London. So, you know, there's there's so many little things that looking back you think, well, that's surely what tickled my interest in graffiti. Well, having been exposed to it, I imagine that definitely feeds because you're the graffiti style is very prevalent in a lot of the work that you do but you have your own unique way of of sort of adding it especially to your rooms the you know the the super rare rooms i love sort of like some of the clean lines and then there are these really beautiful like graffiti elements like the halos and the dripping paint and now for me i love those but i could see all of that being tied in do you think that so one of the things that extreme, I think extreme athletes, so not that I was an extreme athlete, there was about a year, a year and a half where I was into, people are going to laugh. <laughs> it was right when inline skating for a half a minute was, <laughs> Dude, I tried was it. hotter I than skateboarding for like half a minute. I tried it as well, man. It was, yeah. it was, it was it's nice. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's fun to try and yeah. I got pretty good at it. I was doing some street stuff, riding rails, you know, and then school came back and I was mostly focused on baseball. So it was like over the summer and you know spring and summer that I was doing this, but there wasn't a big community. I think if there had been a community around me of other other people who picked up the sport, I probably would have stayed with it. You know, yeah. And I imagine that's sort of the benefit of finding your community of of people that you were traveling with and traveling around the country and sort of doing all of this great exploration. You know, I think there might be something in kind of how the mind actually kind of changes. They say like, you know, when you do different types of workouts, your brain, the physiology of your brain actually changes. Mm. And I think that the way that you try to kind of learn tricks in extreme sports kind of really brings out a kind of asymmetrical thought process. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's, I think there's something in that that could say, well, actually doing extreme sports might bring out more artists just because, just because of the way that the brain's being developed over time. And there's an individual aspect to it too, which is two different people can try to perform the same trick, but, the way your bodies need to perform that trick is unique to you and your brain has to figure that aspect out for you. Right. So there's this creativity, creative element to it. There's learning, you know, learning the trick, the technical aspect, and then there's landing the trick, the physical aspect of it. Uh, I imagine, do you consider yourself kind of like a lifelong learner? Oh yeah, for sure. I was reconsidering recently going back to university. Uh, when when I first decided to go to university, I felt like such a sellout. Like I'm one of these people that was always kind of just learn from home. Don't don't waste your time paying all these tuition fees that because they're extortionate. Do you know what I mean? Like in the oh, UK, it's, it's a crime. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, people can surely see how instrumental that is to the payback yeah. now. So um, I was yeah. considering going, uh, I was listening to like podcasts by Elon Musk and stuff and not podcasts, uh, like interviews with him. And I, I just kind of got it in this head that I kind of wanted to do something quite practical, you know, 
maybe take computer science or physics or something. Hmm. But um, yeah, but the way that you would interpret it today and learn from it is different than you would had you went in when you were eighteen, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't know. I think in many ways, a lot like a lot of us, I feel like I'm going, constantly going backwards in life in some ways. Yeah, I feel like the eighteen-year-old version of me was a lot purer, a lot. You know, it's kind of like a dog. When you're a kid, you just kind of have your priorities straight. It's like, I just want to smile and play and love (laughs) and eat. It's it's fairly, it seems like once our basic needs are met, we're kind of happy, right? Yeah. Well, I I don't know, actually. I think I'm really unhappy with my basic needs. No, I I don't mean today. I mean, as a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the purity is you're not corrupted, I think. The purity is you're not corrupted by commercialism. You're not corrupted by other people's opinions. And I, don't, I think corrupted is, might be too strong of a word, but maybe influenced is, is more appropriate. It's mm-hmm. like we learn from the environment around us, but when we're kids, we're sort of reacting to the environment around us. And in many ways, we're just trying to, like you said, be happy and smile and do things that make us feel good. That innocence kind of gets lost, doesn't it, as we yeah. get a little bit older? Yeah, I think, I think that was one of the, um, the kind of fundamentals of extreme sport and art in the same context, really. You know, you've got the goal and the goal is, is really to perform a task that is, in many senses, it's, it's really trivial, like doing a trick what what's the point like but the amount of enjoyment and how it brings people together is is instrumental i felt like i never really got there anywhere else anyway i, I did a lot of other things you know gaming and, and but it was there's not many things that you can do in the modern era that involves traveling with a good task and being out in the country and doing it with a collective of friends it doesn't really exist anymore <laughs> It doesn't, we've become quite dependent on this product we're both fucking facing right now. Yeah. You know, and some of your art, or maybe a lot of it, reflects the angst of being connected. But before we go there, you were talking a little bit about some of the roles and opportunities and and things that you did, including gaming. What did you do in gaming? Oh, it was just a hobby, but I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it comes as a, a cultural thing, I guess, um, that gamers kind of have their own ways. And, you know, you the friends just seem very different, the different groups of friends. And I just felt like gamers felt very disconnected to me, especially back then. You know, you're talking kind of early 2000s, there was Xbox Live and and, you know, you just kind of went around your friend's house, really, and just game for ten. <laughs> you know, you just play like Mortal Kombat and, and GoldenEye and all the classics, just ten hours a day in, in a bedroom. My brother is a gamer. Um, yeah, I was never really a gamer, but he was always because I was always so quiet and so anxious and depressed. He was my anchor to the world, and so I made a lot of friends through him and with him. He's he's younger than me, about 18 months, but we're kind of really close in... Oh, here it comes. Let's shoot! 
<laughs> my sneeze woke up my dog. <laughs> you want to meet hello. Bailey? Come here. Say hello, Bailey. Say hello. Hey, Bailey. How old's Bailey now? He was one in December. Oh, no way. I, th- I thought he was young. So I remember he, he was around last time and um, he was doing the reflection a lot. Yeah. Oh, was, that's right. He was staring <laughs> at the TV. Yeah. He, uh, every now and then he still stares at the TV, but um, I think it's a phase he's out of now. I'd love it if pets could talk. If dogs can talk? Oh, yeah. Just all animals. All animals. Like, <laughs> how wild shit, would it be? The shit that they can say. <laughs> Like they're very, you know, because they can't, they're very like physically expressive Mm. in the way that they move throughout the world. And it's amazing how we come to learn, learn their habits and like figure out (laughs) what they want just because of like physical behavior. Yeah. It's weird. They, they, they kind of, they have a very small base knowledge of, of memory, don't they? they? They only respond to something like 10 words on average or something. Yeah. Um, but, but for some reason, they can understand everything about you just by your body language and your tone. Like, the same. Like, when I come home from a, a bad day, if I have mm. those, uh, I haven't had them in a very long time, but it's really, they know. They feel. They don't have yeah. to... They don't have to ask. They just feel. Yeah. They, they, like they always say, they cut out all the crap down there. It's just the dog doesn't thrive on Twitter. No. No, it does not. No. <laughs> it's so primitive. But the, the thing is, humans thrive. Like we kind of crave that and we don't give it ourselves. Just basic programming. It's like we're happy when we understand from A to B and how to get there. And all we ever know really is confusion. And, and a lot of it... <laughs> You know, that's true. It, 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 I mean, it's, it's like really obvious, but then it spans into like the art stuff, and 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 you know, people resonate with actually. Oh, I see that you've actually said something from A to B, and you know, you've you've made a mess in the middle to kind of distort it, and and people love that. You know, people people like to try and understand it. I think I think a lot of people don't explore how they're programmed, how they're consume. You know, the consumerism, how it kind of grabs them and just society in general mostly western you know how western society has done it is is the real era we've been i don't want i I keep wanting to use this word and i don't know why i keep hesitating but we've been corrupted oh yeah by our own behavior and you know it's easy to blame i wouldn't even say like like corrupted is is I, i know you said earlier like it was quite a harsh term but i think that like you know that's i think that's almost soft i think that captured oh <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. It's, you're on shackle we're on shackles there's there's no way out of it there's, this yeah. this seems like a common theme let's dive into some of the themes in your art it seems this idea of being shackled and almost like captured well you it is captured in this world that you've these worlds that you've created but they all seem to say similar things about the the connected world we live in and i'm curious we've touched on it some more but tell me more about why that's important to you well it's kind of um 
like most people know, yeah, it's kind of hard to deal with depression and isolation. So it's just kind of my way of kind of exhaling, you know. You know, we like to complain about our state. It, it just feels like it's an easier way for me to say, like, well, this is pretty much the first thing that comes to my head on on a, a feeling, mm-hmm. you know. It's almost like a stream of consciousness, but at the same time, I've, I have took the time to say, well, actually, these rooms could act like ports between different digital gateways, you know, like small hints to different things like the NSA or Mars or different types of ports that are doing certain things in certain businesses or something like just small hints. I mean, I like to play on kind of space as well because they're all Photoshop 2D, but contradicts the kind of, it, some of them play on the idea of broken space. Yeah. I love that. I especially am attracted to when it's visually you're in a 3D, you know, in a, you've created perspective to create this environment. And then in the middle of that perspective is you've put up like a mime's wall, right? Yeah. An invisible wall. And then it starts cracking. And yeah. For me, like the trick of the mind there, because it's such a pleasant thing to recognize for me. You know, it's this beautiful perspective. You're looking at liminal space, maybe, and all of a sudden, there's you're interrupted by a crack in it. And yeah. You do it really well. I'm curious, what does that crack mean to you? For me, it was, it was um, initially, um, I'm just looking through, you know, um, a lot of the stuff kind of appeared on uh, Super Rare. The, the first work I used it on was, um, it was a beach, actually. And it, I kind of used it in that piece, kind of completely out of context, really. I, I, I just felt like it would be funny. <laughs> at the time, I was just like, at the time, I didn't realize really what I was doing. I just kind of went, you know what, it would be funny if there was just a hole yeah, and the like. Warning I remember tape. that piece too. Yeah, the warning tape across it, so it was like you're not allowed to get out. Yeah, you know, it was like you're you're trapped in this paradise, but it wasn't really a paradise because the beach was really quite dull and, and lonely. There's this one figure in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I just subconsciously created my own sense of isolation, creating mm-hmm. art. But um, besides that, I was always trying to communicate the idea of us getting out digitally you know it's like a get out clause for humanity you know well well let's build a digital world you know maybe that'll be better <laughs> will it though <laughs> i don't think so but absolutely not yeah it will never get that far anyway does world war three will happen before that for sure i think ready player one kind of fantasy yeah is is what people are aiming for I just don't think, to your point, for various reasons, we'll get there. I think humans, we crave community, and there's a false, sometimes a false sense of community created through connecting on devices. But there's a touch element that is important, you know, and being in a physical space with someone, at least it's important to me. Yeah. In crypto art, I've made friends like you, uh, with you, and friends with Rob, and friends with... Colin, and some of the closest friendships I've made in years. And yeah, it's 
there's a physical element that's missing though for me. And I get that from my family because I have like 70 family members in like 10 square miles, right? Oh, so nice. A random yeah. Sunday dinner at my mother's house can turn into 20 people like that. And it's literally my mother and her three sisters. And so mm-hmm. if my mother and her three sisters get together, then there's everybody's got kids and girlfriends and kids, kids, you know what I'm saying? So it could turn into 20, 25 people just for coming over for a visit. So that's how I grew up. I thought that that was normal, right? My entire yeah. life, I'm thinking that's how all families are. And I realized when I went to college and that kind of threw me for a loop, you know, that's, I'm the, the exception mm-hmm. to the way families are. Uh, the, the rule is like, at least around here was not a lot of families were like that. You know? mm. So while I, I do miss like getting to meet people, not only face to face, but have a beer with them at the bar or have dinner with them in person and talk. And I'm a very like, I talk with my hands, but I'm also, I'm a toucher, right? I like yeah. high fives. I like hugs. You know, that's just, that's, that's who I am, you know? And Blind so, chest book. Blind chest <laughs> yeah, chest bumps for sure. You know, uh, I get excited when I see people, you know, I have to hold myself back because I, I, I would be like, oh, bear hug. You know, I'd want to bear hug people and be like, oh, my God, it's so good to see you, you know, but not everybody likes to be touched. So you have to be, you have to read the room, you know, especially now with COVID, you almost have to know that person's personality, you know, Do, are they, are they a fist bump? Are they a shake? You know, who knows? Anyway, my point was, while I miss getting to know people in person, I do get some of that from my family. So it hasn't been a total loss for me. But I am really looking forward to being at events with, with the people I've made friends with here in the space. I can't wait to like walk around the room and be like, I know that guy and I know that guy. And, you know, we did a collaboration together and, you know, it's just going to be so much fun when that happens. I don't remember what my original point was, but that's what that's where it's it'll going. go wild. Like when when we're allowed out, you know, when the shackles are off. Because um, yeah. my youth was kind of crazy like that anyway. Kind of like you know rooftops and 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 the idea of staying in for one night was was diabolical to me for many years, and then suddenly it just flipped. You know, coin flip. Just I just never wanted to go out anymore. You know, I, I was. I reached one point before crypto where I was, I was done. I was just yeah. like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing life as it is. I'm done. And I kind of slept like 15 hours a day, just kind of hope. I know it sounds like really disrespectful to a lot of people that have it worse than me, but uh, it's all relative. And I just kind of was like, I don't want to wake up. I'm done. And I was like that for like a year. I, yeah. I think God's honest truth I was in such a bad state pre-crypto art, like just this year before crypto art. If I hadn't had a girlfriend and parents, I would have just given up. Yeah, you know? mm. I, I, It was, and to be honest, it kind of helped shape me. So I don't regret that period, but it's hard because everything is kind of like a guilt trip. You know, you feel, you feel guilty for, for being sad. You know, it's like I've got a girlfriend, I've got parents, I've got, you know, I live in a house, I've got food. Like, why are you feeling guilty? Like, you know, yeah, why are you feeling sad? Just stop being sad. You, 
your liability to these people that you love while you're doing that to yourself. I do so, so truly know that. I spent 30, before I went and got help for my own mental health sort of struggles, I spent 37 years thinking I was broken. Hmm. Thinking that, why can't I be like that guy? How come they can go through life? I have a family. Both my parents are still together. Um, I lived at home until I was 30. That's what Italians in New Jersey do. I had a good life, and yet I felt like I didn't deserve it. At the same time, I felt like I could do so much more, but I didn't know how I couldn't do it. I couldn't take these steps that required me to live life the way I wanted to. Like I was stuck inside, you know? Yeah. It, it took me 37 years to figure out sort of how to, you know, I'm in therapy twice a week, two mm-hmm. different therapists. Uh, and I take medicine. And it's been for the first time in my life, the last year and a half, two years, I've been living instead of surviving. Yeah, that's important for sure. I love that. There's quite a few quotes that like reference to that. And um, for sure, I feel like a lot of people live that way. I think I think as crypto, people that get into crypto tend to thrive on living rather than surviving, you know, because it's, it's, it's a basic human condition, isn't it? Our parents, my parents were rather were, you know, they, the obsession for security. And it's like, it doesn't exist, you know. It doesn't so, exist, yeah. But I mean, it's safe in life because, you know, you, you're not happy and you're not getting anything. But yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely resonate with that. I think I was listening to like some funny YouTube inspirational thing the other day. It was really funny how you talk about um, kind of psychologists tell you you're okay the way you are. And it's like one of the biggest errors that you can do because it's, you know, Western culture demands that we thrive for better. So if you're okay the way you are, you're, well, you're sad and you're miserable, you're suicidal, you're unhappy about everything, but you're okay the way you are. <laughs> how like, is that? <laughs> I don't even know how that would be. I think it's human nature to want to be better. You know, not- sure, yeah. But we tell ourselves, like, I mean, it's a, it's a huge play in kind of modern society, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter what you are or who, you know, but you tell yourself all the time, like, I want to be this and I want to be that. So it's like, you know, we're programmed and now we're telling ourselves the opposite. And it's all it's doing is the same old trick, the distraction, yeah. the confusion, the, the smoke and mirrors. One of you know, the things. Because be, you might become powerful. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a trick. You're trying to trick yourself into surviving, I think, instead of living. That's um, what's really funny. No one ever does survive. <laughs> <laughs> no one in history has ever survived. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I mean, the irony in, in that statement, of, <laughs> like trying to survive, is so real. Because in the end, no one survives. It's so true. But yet... Sometimes we do get stuck in our mind and we get stuck in our body. And I think some of it is tied to, I mean, I I can't speak to why my brain does this. Maybe it was food I was eating. Maybe it was upbringing experiences that I had as a kid. I don't know, right? But for whatever reason, I lived a very depressed or anxious life. I was either in the past, depressed, living it, reliving it, or thinking about what is going to happen next, 
right? So mm-hmm. very anxious. Very rarely was I ever living in the present moment. And today, sometimes we'll be sitting at the dinner table on Sunday because we do a big Sunday dinner. And my brother would be like, remember that time when we went to blah, 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 and we did this? And it was in my 20s. And I'm like, I mean, I remember being there, but I don't remember any of that stuff. It's because (laughs) the whole time I was worried about getting into a fight or what was going to happen next, or I was depressed about a girlfriend and was focused on that, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't living, you know, I was, I was just, you know, but that's how my brain worked. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we were saying earlier about how it, it felt like the 18-year-old me would have just like give me a slap, you know, and say, what are you doing? Because, you know, I, I never worried about like getting in trouble in fights back then. And it happened, but I never worried about it. It was just, I never looked for it. it I always tried to avoid it, but it never found me. Yeah, It was probably the ignorance that, that kept the universe from supplying it to me. And um, that that enabled me to just have a very healthy outlook and, and life. And it was partially through ignorance and purity. You know, it was the yeah. ability to not overthink things. And, and was I, th- I think it's, I think we were, we suffered because of the kind of digital revolution. You know, as soon as the internet came in, it felt like we just went up, we've gone on a downward spiral ever since. I, re- I really do believe that, it, even though it's enabling this now. I remember when I didn't even have a mobile phone and life was so good. <laughs> I know? remember making plans with people in person and then them actually showing up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and, yeah. you know, yeah, it's like, it's much easier today to just text someone and be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to be... 30 minutes later, I'm going to be, but back in the day when we were kids, Hey, Tuesday at eight o'clock is a showing at such and such be there by seven 30, you know, and we'll go to the movies together or something and people would show up. Yeah. Right. Like there was an accountability there to, and a commitment, I think. And while this enables us to talk over waters, some of that commitment to humanity is is gone away because it's so easy to be like, nah, I'll just text them. I don't feel like going out today, even though do we you, made plans. Do you feel like in the kind of 60s or 70s, COVID would have just, the whole lockdowns just would not have happened? Everyone would have just said, no, I'm going for a beer. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, advertising was really, like television advertising like they did a lot of FUD. So yeah. I, th- I think they could have, I think they could have manipulated, especially in the newspapers, could have manipulated society um, mm. a little bit more. They had more I think control, we're, I think. We're hypersensitive now though, aren't we? Like we're... Um, Fuck yes. Yeah, like, and back then they were very, they were the opposite. They were so volatile. Like tax went up in the UK by like 2%. And and half the country went to sticks and stones and, and fireballs. Like, yeah, my dad used to, my dad was a hippie. Oh, nice. He used to protest, right? Now he's, uh, he, he listens to the podcast, but mm. uh, he likes to say that he, his politics didn't change. Uh, the world around him changed. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Cause you know, I wasn't living with him back, back when he was in his teens. 
but you know. That might be a good point. I never really thought of it like that. I try to avoid politics as much as possible, I think. I think it's so poisonous. I studied media, so obviously kind of I avoid all news. I have, <laughs> a, hate, deep- I have a hate-hate relationship with uh, mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hate to hate it. <laughs> but I have it wins. To. It wins every time you even look. <laughs> Lose some game. They're so good at manipulating masses of people. I think I ne- I'd never really like looked into this. There's probably some kind of book on it or something, but um, I think it's like a awareness enhancer that kind of pushes negative energy. So you, you only have to even be aware of it and, and you can be the most positive person in the world and being aware of it actually makes it stronger. Like all the, the plays that are happening yes. right now, sexism, racism, political control, North Korea, you know, uh, Iran, all these things are being pushed and, and they're actually, you think, like most people, my parents, for instance, they, they watch it and they think that being aware of it helps. I say, no, 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 you just... You're adding to the problem by even watching it. You're not doing anything about it, you know. I think um, Teddy Roosevelt's quote on um, kind of focus on what you can control, not what you can't. You know, make the most of what you got, where you are, what you have, kind of stuff. I think yeah. his mentality was really strong on on basically just don't even look at everything that's happening in the world. Just focus on yours, what's yours. I think art's really helped me for that. I think there's, you know, a lot of people, you've heard, maybe you've heard this before, people will say, you know, uh, think globally, act locally. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of a similar concept. It's like focus on what's in front of you. Yeah. You know, make change here in your world. Because if everybody was making change in their vicinity, then collectively change could get made. But what happens is we're really good at being told what to blame and who to blame and how to blame them. And we're really comfortable with just the blame and not doing anything about it. And I say the global we, uh, I mean like the collective unconscious, not necessarily Mm -hmm. like individual, you know, you or me. How funny is that, that that happens in crypto all the time? Oh, I'm not selling who's to blame. (laughs) <laughs> yeah have you seen that like a new breed a new collection of people like entering they did the same as what i did like two yes. years ago yeah i yeah. did it as well and i i look now and i think to myself wow that's how i looked oh my I, God. I remember when there was a period where you were really struggling with yeah. uh not selling and mm. you were being vocal about it and then nothing you were being argumentative but you were talking to like you were going back and forth with people who were commenting on your posts. You know, yeah. I'm taking a 90 day break from arguing on other people's primary posts. <laughs> right. I'll argue under mine if somebody comments that I feel like that's my lawn. Right. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm trying not to go on to other people's lawns and, and tell them their ideas are stupid or something. Not that I do that, but tell them that, and argue back and forth. But anyway, where I'm going with this is I think I went through it too, but I think there's a period of, of struggle where you're trying to figure out where you fit in this space. And mm. some, some of it is shouting back at people who were like talking to you. I mean, we, we kind of went through a period as well. It was, it was very different, wasn't it? When that period, um, there were kind of 
the gatekeepers started to set in. The kind of three tri- you know, three points of the triangle to hold it up were kind of getting really strong at that time. And I think I think a lot of us were complaining because it was like we see what's happening behind the curtain and we just want people to be aware. So let's make an argument on publicly. <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. I, I think what I was commenting on about where I saw you were struggling was specifically with the selling of your art. Because there was a period. Oh. Yeah. There was a period like November to December where everybody's art, nobody was selling. Right. Yeah. Uh, there were some people that were really vocal about it. Me too. But to your point about the gatekeeping, had we not spoken up, we wouldn't have the 10% royalty. People forget how much we had to fight for that. They take it for granted. And it's only been six months or whatever, you know, eight months. They don't remember what it was like pre rarity token wearable. They don't remember uh, what it was like when it was just non-origin maker's place and super rare that were the big boys and the whales, nothing that they don't pale in comparison to say Metacoven or Mark Cuban or maybe even Gary V, but they were influential in, mm. in telling platforms who should and shouldn't be on them. You know? yeah. and, and in some cases, one, look at what happened to Max and, and Rob getting kicked off of super rare, right? Um, I think it helped them in the end, though. <laughs> of course, of course. Max because is Max has become the bad, you know, not the bad boy, but he is the guy who gets kicked off of platforms, and that's part of his artist persona. Yeah, and he gets kicked off for really smart reasons by mm. making them look look bad, by making the platform yeah. look bad. Rob is is such a fucking shrewd marketing genius. I said this to him the other day. I said, like, you don't realize how much of a digital marketing revolutionary you are. And he was like, I don't know what I'm doing after though. <laughs> and he's, he's just playing on yeah, time. He's so far ahead mm. that people are going to look back and be like, oh, Robness did this. Robness did that. Like, you know, Robness was launching albums before NFT, before Blau and, and Rack came in. Yeah. You know, he launched an, an NFT book before I don't even think the book industry's in yet. Yeah, he, he was he was talking about music kind of coming into the space and taking over. Yeah. Literally January twenty twenty, I think. Yeah. Like he was talking about heavy, he was saying to people like this is the thing. And he, he's like, you know, fifteen months ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, look at it now, right? It's like we have Eminem, yeah. Snoop, Blau, all these big, not Danger Mouse. Who was the, the producer that came in? Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, Calvin Harris came in. There's yeah, tons of them. Tons of them. Yeah. Yeah. Kings of Leon. But, like, what I don't get about the music is it connects with the art, but the art is visual, right? And yeah. art has always been kind of quiet and stagnant in the background. So its intended purpose of use is to be primarily. In the say in the living room. Mm-hmm. So if I have a piece of artwork on the wall, this is what I don't quite get. Like people don't really think it through. But if I've got a piece of artwork on the wall, it's going to sit there for a while. So what am I doing in the room? Almost everything I do in the room, that then becomes a distraction. 
at least musically, like visually it can move, it can dance a little bit and not be a distraction. But if I'm sitting there, you know, say I'm in the kitchen just across the way and I'm like making dinner for 40 minutes and there's three pieces of artwork on that last two minutes each, that's three songs looping for, you know, 40 minutes like that. I don't want to hear this little loop for that long in the background. Like I just want, you know, something subtle and everything really doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I just, I don't think yeah. people really, they're not really using them. I think the NFT as a music file uh, will be short-lived. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, it being on the artwork as well still isn't actually functional for no. maybe 80% of the use case of, of all NFTs. But doesn't that already yeah. exist in, in form, in theory, right? Short film, right? Uh, film in general. Yeah. You have soundtrack. Yeah. So this isn't like, for me, they're exploring right now. Mm -hmm. I, I won't imagine me, and at least, ever putting a music NFT on a wall and letting it loop with exactly no that's just not going to happen music to me needs to be on demand like if i want to listen yeah. to it on spotify you know as a collectible okay that's cool you know if i if i'm a pearl jam fan if pearl jam released an album as an nft i'm buying it i may never listen to the mp3 ever again cuz i'll mm -hmm. just go to spotify but as a collector of or a fan of the club that'd be cool I think there needs to be an experiential element to separate from art in the sports card collectible, in the music collectible. There needs to be an and what, right? It's like, yeah. do I get access to a fan club? Do I get access to exclusive releases? Do I get access to in-person events? That's what the NFT mm -hmm. needs to deliver to be useful, I think. Art. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, but art, the way that you and I create art, that is the experience. And, and it can mm -hmm. be something else. But where we don't have a designer coming in and creating a collectible for us. We're creating the artwork, you know. And I think it's a, just a, it's a little bit different because everything is clumped together as mm. nft and it'll eventually be dispersed into different categories but you know when it comes to when we're creating art we're, we're talking about messaging within the piece yeah as well as other stuff but you know you yeah. say about it like um spanning off into different areas um, yeah. it's actually quite worrying because almost anyone with any kind of leverage or or power or or kind of acknowledgement for their creations everyone's kind of got at the high speed to has kind of got a consensus now like tons of people go drop away because of it and that's where i was really against a lot of people joining tezos what do you mean by because people are going to drop away it'll get harder for them to sell and when people don't sell they yes. find other things and i just feel like like I was, I was really struggling to get this across to people because I'm a terrible writer. If I'd have made a piece of artwork on it, people would understand it. <laughs> I was just, like me and Shaolin were like arguing about, well, not arguing, you know, like just throwing things backwards and forwards about it. I was saying basically what you don't realize is there's no top artists on Tezos. Tezos is cheap and efficient. Things that are cheap and efficient don't take a high demand in money. So 
if the top collectors are not on there, um, top buyers are not on there, sellers are not on there, the top buyers aren't on there. So that what, what that does is that makes all the top buyers then have a subconscious category of Tezos is cheap artists. And that's like, that's you don't want to put yourself in that box just to try and save a bit of money on gas for a small period of time, you know? So I just think, I says to a lot of people, like, you know, you, you just, you're going to pay 12 months from now if you can sell a lot on Tezos and stop uploading on Ethereum. I think they will suffer for it. I really do. I think there's a parallel to, to Rarible in early days here. And when the parallel is when the trash artists were moving to Rarible, there was the perception that it was cheap art. And there was yeah. a perception that it was, it was not a very well-regarded platform when Rob started moving over there and Max started moving over there. It was considered kind of like Tezos now. Like, in, in, at least in the way that you're, in my mind, the way that you're explaining it seems similar mm-hmm. to me. I think, it, I think there's an opportunity for people to use Tezos as a way to onboard into NFT space to learn about it if they can't financially commit to Ethereum. But yeah, if you can that's a, that's commit to Ethereum, you might be better off sticking with Ethereum. For sure, yeah. I think as a collector, it's an opportunity. But as a seller, for someone who's been in the space for longer than a year, I think it's a huge, it's a step backwards. It's a risk, yeah. Yeah. Because the people that started to jump over were, were people who I consider to be on the, the point of stepping up in kind of the nourishment of their art, you know, that the art's getting better. And I feel like, I feel like like some people like, you know, Bishop and, and Shaolin and, you know, even yourself, like, the, you know, you, you're all ready to just kind of go, well, I should be worth double what I am there. Yeah. You know, that your portfolio is extending and extending and the art gets better, obviously, over time. I, tend I just to, feel like it's, it's a step backwards to go to Tezos, I feel like. Here's how I would do it if I was going to go to Tezos. I would do it to see what the platform looks like and does. So I might do something simple, easy, but it wouldn't be my primary, right? I'm committed. So then you don't don't connect second round to it. Just make up a sock puppet account. Yeah. I'm committed to Ethereum, 100%. You know, I was using NFT Showroom for a little bit. I love the community on NFT Showroom, but Ethereum mm-hmm. is where my collectors are, you know, primarily. And I'm okay with that. I feel like I'm established enough with a portfolio after being here for two years to make Ethereum my home. Mm-hmm. That's okay for me. But if I was a noob, I'd probably shoot to like Phantasma Chain or Tezos to see what's going on over there because of cheap transactions. And then no. if I was generating interest, began to transition over to quote unquote the major leagues, right? Yeah. Like, I kind of equate it to like major league and minor league baseball and not to be derogatory (laughs) to anybody that's living and working in those places. But Ethereum has earned the right to be considered the big, the bad boy on the planet, the the big boy on the planet. You have flow and you have wax and they're their own sort of like collectible market. Uh, Not so much art though. Right. 
for mm-hmm. art right now is still Ethereum. Nobody's come on board and created the the premier art platform. Yeah. It's all sort of distributed amongst Ethereum. I think over the coming years, a lot of people will look more and more at the the uh, history of wallets, you know? Oh, yeah. And I feel like I always looked at myself and went, well, you've been in the space for over two years, maybe three, and you've uploaded twice or three times a week, every week for that entire period. Like that is, you can't compete with that portfolio if you're new. And people will look at that eventually. Well, they can. I mean, they can just make like kick-ass artwork and people love it. Sure. But what all I'm saying is, is um, for someone who builds on that story through the blockchain to convert, to save, you know, at best a, a, a meal is very, it's just not my thing. I've never really counted the cost. You know, I, I count yeah. the task. I don't care. I just kind of jump on it. I mean, at the moment, I'm going and buying canvases, like five, six canvases a day and, and 20, 30 spray cans a day. And none of it's going to sell. Or, or, you know, I'm I'm probably blowing like $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month on, in miscellaneous. And um, I just don't count the cost that way. You know, it's, it's all about what you're doing as opposed to... It feeds your inner creative... And that's part mm. of your, I think not every action as an artist needs to be, or every, every piece needs to be sold. Right. Oh, of course. Like, yeah. You know, I think there's a misconception sometimes that happens. Like people are like, Oh, uh, especially when it comes to rarity and scarcity. I'm like, do you realize how much artists do that don't even make it to the point where you're seeing it? Like there's nothing. Yeah. Like to us, it's not rare or scarce. There's like a fucking giant rooms full of stuff that you yeah. may never see. Like that's just I, a marketing I th- perspective. I think, I think like, I, I don't know if you noticed the really good marketers in the space. If you actually take the time and look at their rollable accounts now, it actually says how many works they've created. And like Pranks is like 49,000. Really? 49,000 pieces. And how, like, nothing could convince me to buy into that supply. No. I'm sorry. I, I think he's a fantastic marketer, great person. But I just wouldn't buy. And Robness is already at like 5K. Uh, for someone who, who gets a lot of money, um, you know, per piece, really. Of course, it doesn't take away from, see, Robness is different. He's like Max and, and me per se. But when you diversify the style even more, you then break it down into smaller collections that are absolutely obviously significantly different. Like like those rooms that you were talking about, there's there's really only like thirty of them or something. Like, yeah. So that's guess. Yeah. And but that's a benefit of of being an artist as opposed to Pranksy, who I don't see as an artist as much as a content creator. Yeah. He can create forty nine thousand pieces of content that all generally look the same in Pranksy style. Right? Mm. Uh, same thing maybe with BitBoy Crypto, right? They produce content. Yeah, you might have, at the end of your career, 10,000 works, but they're going to be broken down into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of subcategorical styles. Yeah, It's not 10,000 works that all look the same. Like People are like, Picasso made 50,000 works. Yeah, but look at, mm-hmm. 
look at his style. He tried all kinds of different things. You know, same thing yeah. with Dali, right? Dali was all different kinds of styles. He's known for those the things that everybody sees in the calendars, but mm. he's done so much more that nobody yeah. ever gets to see. So I think that's a good point you bring up, which is people just talk about scarcity and rarity about the the one number. But when it comes to a, mm. a creative like us, an artist, I have my own categories. You know, I have my brutalist mm. mannequins. I have crypto punks. I have fucking trash art. I have glitch art. Like, you know, that's just my own. I don't care about trying to find my own style. I did for half a minute. I was like, what's my style? And I'm just like, you know, that, now it's just it's, like, fuck that it. the, that's the worst thing they teach you. Uh, like I'm, kind of in the art schools they always taught us okay so you you have to be recognized as a brand and that means making a recognized style that you stick to and it's just so vomit worthy it works it works obviously it does proof of it in the kind of top artists but i don't want to be a brand in that no. way i think i think it's easy to control value i think a lot of people aren't controlling value in actions where that's where max and rob did significantly well that they became performance artists. Yes. That enabled them to go, Oh, what's that? I'm worth an Ethereum. Okay. Watch this. Now I'm worth three. Like, yeah. I tried and, to um, mimic and learn from them a little bit. It doesn't fit my personality. Like getting kicked off super rare, I think actually hurt me as opposed to help me, but I don't regret it one bit because I've had to like learn how to, find other ways to sell you know mm -hmm. i think had i been putting had i put my brutalist mannequins on super rare i think they would have sold mm. well yeah. unfortunately that's just not where they landed so you know but you know i'm i'm fine i'm forging my own path now i don't know what that looks like but in 20 years we'll find out right when they do the second realm documentary <laughs> <laughs> dude it can it can happen it can happen yeah, it's really a case of. I think I'm focusing too much on on the wrong things at the right at this moment. You know, I'm focusing on kind of celebrities and and scarcity, and, and it's not really healthy to the purpose. It's more of a focus to profits than purpose, and and I don't like doing that. I mean, a nifty gateway gave me some real freedom. I think for me, going through the process of using nifty gateway was a huge eye-opener to the space. It really was. A, I went, going in the Discord, there's there's hundreds of people talking every second in the general chat, like just constant. It's constant. And all of them don't have wallets. And What are these they people, talking about? And they don't want wallets. They're just talking of it. They're just talking purely on, will this be worth more? Is this a good buy? What do you think of this? Oh, the ROI on that isn't very good. It's just like an investment game. It really is. It's just a, a, a trading card game almost. Did you think your experience with Nifty positive or negative? Oh my God. So positive. Like, because you know that I was very vocal about, about them. Yeah. And uh, I just simply got shunned by accident because of the traffic that I was DM'd. And he said something like, um, one of the guys in charge told me they were getting some 6,000 applications a week. I mean, that is, how do you even go, go through that? You know, you it's, don't. yeah, you can't. You um, they've switched it off now. They don't even take applications anymore, I don't think. 
Now, I know that they, they source some of their artists from Instagram. Yeah, for sure, and they, yeah. And they have, they have a partnership with a gallery in L.A. where they let one guy, I forget his name, I tried to have him on the podcast, he will bring artists to them. And then, But Tommy, was it Tommy that you talked to? I think it was. I can't remember. It was... Yeah, Tommy is like basically the nuts and bolts of making it happen at, at Nifty. Mm-hmm. You have the two brothers, and they're sort of the figureheads, but Tommy's he's a young dude, 24 and yeah. 25, Stanford grad, and he is like... He's the guy behind the scenes making shit happen there, So he, and he doesn't get enough credit. See, um, when I got accepted it was right on a transition period where just matthew was coming in for that was from scent yeah and he he took over and and started dealing with the day-to-day uploading of artists and oh nice so you i had him as just like a one-to-one every day um zooming and and talking about ideas yeah and they were they were down for doing like some really wacky stuff like i had some wacky ideas but a lot of them didn't quite work out for me you know Mm -hmm. So, so really, I kind of changed my plans, but they were very open. Very how, open. How did you land on the open editions with the like the Mozart, and how did you decide to go with those? Yeah, that was actually uh, Rob's influence. Really, he was. Well, he, you know, we were chatting. I was thinking, I'm, I'm a little stuck on this or that. I'm just in a bit of a dry patch, you know, as artists do, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robness was like, just go back to the cyber, cyber pop stuff. He was like, those, those things were hot. You know, they, they were just friendly to the eye. Yeah. And people enjoy them. And I feel like if you're ever going to sell something to a wide audience, it's not like I went that with that path in, with that in mind. I mean, I enjoyed making those three portraits probably more than anything I've done in a while, to be honest, because they were just fun. Like they were just fun to play with. And I felt like, the message of you can be anything you want to be, yeah, with a mask changing mouths was kind of like, you know, it was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. Did you now I missed out on on your Nifty drop. You would have been the only artist I would have ever purchased on Nifty. Oh wow, that means a lot. Yeah. On I mean, I just don't trust their contract. Yeah, that's the issue. But at the same time, if you want to bring new people in. I know. It's I know. The, Unfortunately, so I know there is that sort of you know give and give and take. I get that. Mm-hmm. As a collector, though, I'm not interested in it. I would be interested in as an artist to go on there. You know, yeah, I'm okay with that. But as a collector, I would only ever collect your art. But I don't really collect. I collect people. I collect my friends and people that inspire me, not for ROI, but because I think they're beautiful. Yeah. So it's sort of a different mindset. I think Nifty (laughs) is very ROI oriented and that's okay. I like that they have their credit card onboarding process. I think it's really smart to bring Mm. people into the space. I hope they're doing the appropriate, like what I would consider appropriate education into moving them to more, more crypto. I've got an experience with that. A guy who bought one of my pieces on Nifty was, was saying to me like, I need to like check out, he, he wanted to buy a piece of mine on Rarible that I uploaded afterwards. And he was like, I've never used it. And he downloaded MetaMask. He tried to deposit funds directly, you know, so you can purchase with credit cards somehow with MetaMask. I've never really done it, to be honest. 
and he got hacked. Someone um, put out like a false MetaMask help desk thing on Twitter and he just jumped on it and gave them his keys. Oh. And I, yeah, it was just like, and I was like, that's really the definition of this gap between new users and, you know, custodial nifty users and stuff. But I kind of tried to look after him. You know, I sent him the piece he was going to buy. I sent him the piece anyway. So he lost like $200 and then got a $400 piece for free. So um, That's really awesome. Know, well, he was, you know, you, I don't want his first experience to be a negative one. So I tried to flip it. You know, it doesn't, all it cost me was gas to send it in. So, yeah, I mean, um, you could have you could have just ignored him, and I think that uh, it's yeah. really awesome of you that you didn't. But most people would have done that, you know. You would have done, yeah. You know, it's just a. I would. Yeah. I wouldn't have ignored ignored him, but I think that there's other people in the space. I wouldn't point names because I'm not going to speak for them. Yeah, you know, ever since Rarible came along, it felt like things just went so much better you know overall as a whole space i feel like as yes. soon as that happened it's like they it found two or three new gears and that you know obviously the rarity token brought in a lot of finance but um besides that it was just the overall space has just gone amazing i think there was a lot of um traditional gatekeeper art world aspect before Rarible yeah. came in. And what Rarible initially did was just be open. Yeah. And it enabled sort of that creativity to to flow. And mm. gave gave people like me an opportunity to find an audience and actually find people and friends like you and Rob and Max and you know, like I, I meant it when I said on uh, that I found my people. Yeah. You know, like I, it took me 30 something, 30, 40 years to find my art people. And I found them and was in crypto art and trash art and the relationships I made through there. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for it all because mm. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for our fun collaborations, trying to mess with uh, Rarible's uh, <laughs> the feed. The feed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's all about. I was, I want to do more of that stuff, actually, to be fair. It's really cool how a lot of us have found each other in this space, you know? The digital life is, is so isolated, but then all of a sudden crypto art comes along. It's like, wow, there's other Deegans like me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's, there's other people out there that are actually really stupid and really smart at the same time. <laughs> we, <laughs> that, yeah. You know? And they're hard Fear, to find. Fearless. To, I don't think it's stupidity. I think it's fearlessness from... Not fearlessness. You're not afraid to explore, right? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a creatively. I don't feel bound by expiration. If something fails, I'm okay with that. Mm. You know, where in the corporate environment, you know, having worked there, failure is not an option. You need to. They say it is, but what you actually need to do is make sure your delivery is as fail-proof as possible. Mm. But being an artist, I think failure is where I succeed the most. Like I would never, if I was going to fucking be afraid to fail, I never would have launched Tater Tech. Come on. I love the name. It's great. Yeah, I think, I can't, I think it was Banksy who said that 
you know, I don't think anyone can fail at being an artist. <laughs> no. And it's true. I think, yeah, just no one can fail at being an artist. So, yeah. I never look at things that way anyway with art, but I do, I do still marginalize things as better and worse. It's a condition. I need to move to Asia. I think a lot of people are moving to Asia, by the way. For what? The cultural? Uh, crypto art. I think that 2023, 2020, mm. like 2022, you're just going to be like, well, 40% of the power is probably going to be there. And when I say power, I don't mean it in that sense. I just mean it like... There's a lot of uh, Asian finance in crypto right now. Yeah. I think Seoul is um, really good on crypto tax. Um, Japan's better than most of the Western countries. Yeah. I don't even, um, I don't even know what the fuck... New, uh, the America is going to be in five years, but you know I'm here for the long haul. Unfortunately, there's um America's in a strange position, but um the UK is the same. The tax is horrible here. This year I've got to pay forty five percent. It's criminal. I am. I'm moving next month. Where are you moving to? I can't tell people. A tax uh, haven. That's right. That's right. A tax haven. I, I, I don't mind telling you. I'll tell you later. But um, yeah, moving, let me let me uh, moving to a tax haven. It's perfectly legal. Uh, cool. um, all above, no capital gains tax, and yeah. yeah. So you found your crypto art island, basically. <laughs> I want that to happen, but I already know that it's going to take a collective, you know, a, a, a collective of people to make it happen. Yeah, and. When you make an island, you have to tiptoe on the point of getting the right people, but not the insane people. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so terrible, but there's a, there's a line where, you know, in kind of isolation and, and kind of new civilizations building up, but there's like, it's shown in history that people go crazy and, and yeah. It's Lord of the Fraud. I mean, you just have to go to literature, Lord of the Flies. It goes to, power, <laughs> yeah. power goes to people's head. It does. I mean, I mean People on an island have to be, but I mean, we want it to happen. We, we were thinking about um, like a bunker, just a bunker that you can just live in, like ten bedroom bunker. Why not? I would. Why not? You want to know where my brain goes to? My brain goes to what if we're attacked? We have no military. Like that's literally where my brain goes yeah. to. Yeah, but as far as an island's concerned, yeah. If we get a bunker, we can just go to kind of. I don't know, Russian, China, Seoul, just, just go somewhere, make a bunker, five levels deep, you know, <laughs> buy one that already exists. The the kind of the ones that are built in like the sixties and the fifties and stuff, they're 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 still they're re, you know, reclaimable. Yeah. Just need to retrofit them with some new air conditioning ventilation system, it'd be all right. It's quite a bit of money, but between <laughs> between five or six people, you know. Yeah. I remember there was a a dark website taken down that that was running out of a bunker. It was something like five levels deep. They're all living out of it. There was screens everywhere, computer chairs everywhere, food, just random snacks everywhere. Strewn all over the floor. Yeah, like they were they were proper underground cyberpunk stuff. And um it cost them something like three hundred and fifty grand to run to get set up. And I was thinking, well, wow, between five people, that's done deal for crypto art for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 70,000. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely nothing. I mean, 
you know, it's it's an art movement. I think that you can bounce off each other living in there. And Absolutely. it fills that gap we were talking about earlier. You it know, does. you want to yeah. be you you want I mean like we can just jump between sitting there creating stuff and then go get a beer and play some video games, you know what I mean? Like that's what I miss about like the high school was yeah. The art room was like this, you know, safe space and I could just go in there and not that I was a star or anything like that. It's just like that was my world. Yeah. And the people you, in there could see. We all know. Free. Yeah. We all know we all know from a very early age, don't we? Like yeah. you know straight away you're an artist. Like yeah. there's just something ticking and you just There was resonate. no question. Uh, it was I didn't decide. I was just doing it. And I knew mm-hmm. I all my life I've had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, dude. Hit me up anytime you want to talk. Cool.